0: Welcome to the Faith Element podcast for the December third, two thousand twenty-three session, focusing on Isaiah sixty-four verses one through nine. Hopeful pottery. I'm David Cassidy.
1: I'm Nikki Hardiman.
0: I'm David Adams, and I'm Daniel Glaze. We have arrived at the first Sunday of Advent. Woo! Woo! How about that?
1: It's the beginning of the church year.
0: Oh, it is. Mm -hmm. Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year. And it seems like we just started this year, but we're not going to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Okay. Speaking of new things, of uh, the start of a new church year, what was something that you create, something that you make uh, new, whether it's like something you craft You shape, form, cook, something you create. And what do you create? And also, how does it make you feel when you're creating?
1: I have often called myself, said that my hobby is collecting hobbies. Mm. So I love to pick something up for a little while and then let it go. And then I'll pick something else up for a while. But the thing that has stuck around for me the longest is embroidery. Mm. I love the work. I love doing the little needlework and. I find it to be very meditative because it's just, it's that one, in, you're going in and out and in and out, no matter what stitch you're doing, it's just back and forth through the fabric. And, and it feels like painting with yarn <sighs> to me. Hmm. So... I've just enjoyed it. I started one time because I was making a little doll for my daughter. And so I was like, oh, that I could sew little eyes and mouth on there. And I did. And I just really loved it. And I said, I want to do more of that. That was fun to do. So that's how I got into it.
0: So you feel calming and soothing and...
1: Yes. And sometimes I use it when I'm doing other create, like writing creative work, especially if I'm writing a sermon. Like I'll do my study and some outline work and then I'll do some embroidery and it works on it right mm-hmm. it's it's in the background of my brain working on it mm-hmm. but because I'm able to focus on doing something with my hands
2: so i i love to cook um and uh that's good cuz my family loves to eat <laughs> uh, but i um so i i I Usually, every so often, I'll try to figure out. Well, I'd I'd really love to to learn to do whatever else. Um, so this fall, I have been learning to make homemade pasta, mm-hmm. and it's it's easy to get discouraged. Let me tell you, because a pound of pasta is usually a buck fifty at the grocery store. So it's it's a lot of work. But <laughs> if you've ever had good homemade pasta, there's no comparison to the dried stuff yep. in the store. So, yeah, that's been, and I really enjoy doing it because there's several steps. But yeah, I oh, I so enjoy doing it. It's a lot of fun.
3: I used to really, I'm a little bit nerdy, but I I, okay, more than a little bit. But I used to really (laughs) like to make games, design games, and work with you. You could hand me a box of stuff, and I'll just make a game out of it. And that was really therapeutic and fun to do. But lately, I've discovered I like doing nerdy things and making nerdy stuff. Like the time I took an old Dell computer and turned it into a Mac and things like ah. that. Uh, but there's something empowering about doing those kinds of things that don't look like they're really possible to do until you get your fingers in something. Mm-hmm. And, and I find myself channeling the movie castaway if you remember that there's a place where tom hanks has finally figured out how to, how to get himself a fireplace He's saying i have made fire i find myself saying that sometimes when i make something <laughs> that i didn't think i could make you know, me yes i have made fire so it's i don't know why it's very empowering when you can make something up that's interesting
0: it really is it is i i, I too like to cook my cooking is done outside primarily although I I do a lot of the inside cooking too but I love to get outside with my smoker grill. And the reason it's a I call it a creative act is because I I really I like to experiment. And so I I put the cook and what I did and how it turned out and then next time I do it I will try something a little different. I'll tweak it here, change it there, add a little of this, take away that. And, and it's that part of it that that I enjoy. I think if I, if I had to do it the same way each time, I would get bored with it, but I love tinkering. <laughs> I'm sure my family's annoyed though, because I always want to review. All right, how do you think this compared to last time? I added this. <laughs> Did you tell? <laughs> and they're like, we just want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it, it is a fun thing. And for me, that particular work of working a smoker or a grill is very tactile. And it generates, just like for you, Nikki, it it kicks in a part of my brain that I spend so much of my day with ideas and paper and screens, and it's nice to work something physical. (laughs) Yeah. However you find yourself creating, and we all do, um, I hope that it is something uh, that you can celebrate and enjoy what it does for you. Um, Because clearly making pasta is not economically sound. But it's very tasty. (laughs) In Advent this year, we have four texts that we are working with. And our good friend Daniel, he has volunteered to bring the intros on all of the Advent texts this season. And as we'll talk about more later, we're actually going to depart for the last two Sundays of Advent to a couple of selections from the lectionary that are a little bit different than what Nurturing Faith has chosen to do. So if you're curious about that, you can see it at the website, faithelement.net. Just go to topics and you'll see we've updated those last two Sundays uh, to show the the text that we'll be looking at. But anyway, Daniel, we appreciate your help in uh, getting us ready for Advent
2: and taking us through it. So I'm going to hand it to you. Thanks, David. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. For Isaiah... Too many years have come and gone without even a sign of God's presence. Isaiah speaks for a people whose tears have turned bitter, whose sorrow has become anger. And in blunt and violent terms, the prophet demands God to come out of retirement. Tear open the heavens and come down, he demands. Don't just stand there. Wake up, come down. For God's sake, do something. Nearly 600 years before Christ, the Babylonian army swept down from the North, seized and sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and killed much of the population. Some said the lucky ones were those who died, because hundreds, probably thousands, were taken away as slaves. And those who remained were reduced to wearing rags and eating garbage. A once proud and confident people who had believed they were a nation chosen and protected by God, well, they were now humiliated and defeated. And of all their losses, I wonder if it was the loss of their faith that was most devastating. Their greatest fear had been realized. After all that had happened, it seemed that God was no longer minding the store. Isaiah says, in effect, God, where are you? You have hidden your face and you have abandoned us. Roberta Rominger tells about the night her mother abandoned her and her brothers. I was nine years old, she says. I can understand it now. Four young children, my dad working long hours, she was at the end of her rope. We were all at the dinner table dad and mom, me and my three brothers and my brothers and i were messing around like children do fussing about things complaining about the food my mother had told us half a dozen times to calm down and eat our supper yet we paid no attention to her suddenly she got up from the table and walked out of the room she got her coat and we heard the front door open and close and she was gone we were absolutely stunned my father told us to behave, herse- to behave ourselves, and then he went out to find her. And we sat in silence and waited. It probably wasn't ten minutes before he brought her home, but those were the longest ten minutes of my life. She continues, when my mother came back, she gathered us up into her arms. She hugged us and apologized and promised it would never happen again, and it didn't. But for ten solid minutes, we had known such guilt as marks you for the rest of your life. It was our fault. Of course it was. It was obvious. God had left, and still, after a generation, God was nowhere to be found. And it was their fault. We sinned, Isaiah cries, and you have hidden your face from us. It wasn't God's fault. It was theirs. I suspect you've been there, this brokenness, this feeling of abandonment. We've all, at one time or another, felt like Isaiah. We pray and pray for our children, for our finances, for our marriage, for our church, for our health, for our world, for some way forward. And there is only silence. But then, in the midst of this silence, Isaiah slips in this phrase. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are but clay, and you the potter. And now we see, at least a little. Maybe this is precisely where Isaiah and we need to be. In the middle of disappointment, Isaiah begins to hope. And that hope allows him and us to see that a broken and lonely place is not always a bad place. Sometimes a broken and lonely place can also be a good place. Because in the hands of the potter, there can be a new beginning. Something new, something different, something useful, and dare I say, even something good. In the end of what was, there can be a future of what will be. Advent, my friends, is about recognizing that nothing within us can save us. We're not getting ourselves out of this mess. Our hope must be in someone who comes to us. We will find our way only because someone comes, takes our hand, and leads us home. Someone who will take our brokenness and remake us. Someone who will take our emptiness and fill us. And we shall wait for that someone. For four long weeks we'll wait in yearning, in expectation, in repentance, and in hope. That's a little background on our text for today.
3: Thank you for that, Daniel. Interesting. As I was hearing this story about the mother, I was thinking about what was she thinking when she did that? Had she had enough and she was just walking out? Did she have some idea of how this might affect her family and it was a deliberate act taken to drive them back to right behavior? was just something that she wasn't thinking about at all. It just did what seemed natural. Uh I'm dying to know what goes through that. And part of that is because that was a technique I used to use way back in the day when I worked with youth groups where the meeting had gotten broken. The group has gotten broken where we couldn't make anything else work. And at the very peak of the hardest of times, I'd walk out of the room, leave them there by themselves, wondering what they did and come to terms with it. For finally coming back in. And almost always you find that they've restored something. They be coming back in that showed them, oh, they've done something wrong and they need to feel something for that. And they need to rebuild themselves. And as I hear you talk about her, it really sets the stage for this idea of the hope of advent, this idea that we're irretrievably broken and we've done something or we failed to do something. And we just have to have someone come back in a room so we could reset all this. Yeah, it's a, so thank you for sharing that. That really helps you know, at least with the experiences I've had.
2: That's interesting, David, because the way that story is told about the, the mother leaving, I, we don't know. We're not told. Roberta doesn't tell us but that that space when the mother is gone. I'm sure those children. It's. It's. I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss the fear or the frightening feelings that they might have been feeling. But it's like when that mother returns, some, something is restored there. They say that's not going to happen again. Yep. There is some restoration there that sometimes uh, a being apart helps or aids. Yeah.
3: And sometimes we need to create that space. And in a large sense, maybe God did that here. And in restoring that in the imagery of the pottery and all, that the restorative moment can occur. And in our case, we look at this with a Christian lens, Advent becomes that season where we look forward to the restorative moment.
1: I like that, David. The idea that Advent is. The hope for that restoration. I've never heard it quite put in those words. And I'm not exactly sure why it is clicking for me, but that makes a lot of sense to me. That makes a lot of, I don't know, it renews Advent for me. And I'm not really sure why. (laughs) I'm sitting here thinking about it.
0: I remember when I was in graduate school, many moons ago, And I was studying philosophy and it was some pretty, it was some pretty deep stuff. (laughs) And it was causing me to think about reality, my reality, about my life, about so many things. And I, I think back to those days as a very generative time, frankly, they were both troubling because I was thinking about things I had never been forced to think about before in ways that I had never been asked to think about them. And we were attending a church, Regina and I were, that was just right off campus. This was Baylor. And I remember the pastor preaching a sermon about the silence of God, and it connected with me because I was feeling that at the time. Mm -hmm. Now, clearly, that was more about me than about God. I was exploring so many things that I felt like uh, I might be losing connection with some of the things that had meant everything to me. And the pastor was so patient and kind and heard me out. We met and talked, and he reminded me that sometimes it's okay for there to be a gap, for there to be some silence with God. And he was like, if you keep listening, you will again hear. And sure enough, as I continued my journey, I not only found some deconstruction, but I reconstructed. and There was restoration and there was a new shape for things. And that led me to seminary ultimately. But but I think back to that time as one of the most important times on my journey as a young person, because I had that silent period. To think about things and to sort things out. So, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, except that I think it may be a part of our faith journeys that we ought to acknowledge and recognize that there are periods like this passage where we have experienced a a sense of gap, a sense of distance, and rejoice at the hope of restoration.
3: Yes. All the time I'm hearing you tell this story. Sorry. Bert's not here. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> also, I'm hearing you tell this story. I remembering the song, Praying for Time, where there's this line in here where the singer is expressing the fear that God can't come back because there are no children left to come back for. Mm. And it's just this fear of we've not done what God expected us to do. And, and now God's not going to come back. God's walked out because God's got no one left to come back for it. And dealing with that fear and how that shapes us is an important theme here.
2: I don't know if this will change the subject a little bit. When I began to write uh, that intro earlier uh, this morning, at first, that line, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, sounds like very scary language, apocalyptic kind of end of the world even language at first to me. But the more I sat with it, and and hearing us talk, um, it, I, I I don't want to dismiss anybody that does that does sound like scary and fearful language, or whose faith perspectives has, uh, have, or traditions have taught them to see that as scary. But it can be seen as a tender prayer hmm. that,
1: yeah,
2: um, I am feeling distant, and I don't want to feel distant anymore yeah or in the midst of war and poverty destruction of the earth nationalism the i mean the whole list god we long for your intervention and we long to be agents of that justice and transformation it's a tender prayer of someone who says we we cannot continue like this so i don't i don't know if any of that's resonating but i all of a sudden i i began to hear it differently when i was writing and i'm glad i, I provided that shift because for me that's i think that's significant
1: thinking about that moment of silence that the scripture talks about or the time of silence it's not a moment where they feel that God is silent. And then about this beautiful story that you shared um, of the mom who just got up and walked out as a mom who has often felt like getting up and just walking out before, not often, but I have had that feeling before. I would be very intrigued to know if she had purpose in that or not. But I'm thinking about when she walked out. It caused a shift in their brains. It caused a shift in their focus. It made them go, it made them pay attention, wake up and pay attention, where her yelling or her telling them to behave had not. And I think that's just so, when we read the prophets, that's what it looks like. God asks, repent, worship care for the vulnerable over and over and over again. And we as humanity have such a hard time doing that. But it seems to me that the what God would want us to do is to pay attention to ourselves and our behavior and the way that it not only may affect God, but also how it affects those who are around us.
0: So this is for the first Sunday of Advent, which is a Sunday that we recognize and focus on hope. We've been talking about hope as it exists in the restoration found in this passage. But I guess I just wonder if we might want to pause for a moment and just talk about maybe hope in this day. Because I I feel like there is uh, a great need for hope right now, and that maybe we have even a deficit of hope, given the enormous challenges that we face as a people, as a planet, as a
3: world. How, how do you feel about hope in 2023? There's another sense about hope I get out of this passage that we hadn't talked about, and maybe this bleeds on to 2023. Sorry, I just covered my mouth there for a second. This bleeds into 2023 a little bit. But as we look at all these bad things and, oh, God's left the room, mom's not here anymore, we sure hope God comes back, has it ever occurred to us that as part of being the potter who is making the clay, that this is a feature and not a bug, that this is part of God's process? That sometimes we're going to have to go through some things. Or we're going to have to hurt. We're going to have to feel like we've lost hope because this is part of God's process in the forming us as to who God wants us to be. I'm not sure that we think of it that way very often. It's, it's more of a, oh, I'm hurting right now. Fix my alley. But maybe this is what God wants.
1: I wouldn't say that in 2023, I am without hope. That's not accurate. Mm-hmm. Um However, hope feels very risky. Sometimes I hope for things and I have a high degree of confidence that those things will come to pass. And then sometimes I hope for things despite knowing that the chances of those things happening are so slim and small. And right now it it feels like the latter hope for peace in the middle east. Mm-hmm. I can hope for it. But I'm not sure I could even envision a path forward. Not that I know enough to do that, but yeah. that yeah. that it seems impossible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely impossible. Mm-hmm. And that comes with so much pain and so much destruction and so much Fear, And so to hope for restoration there leaves me feeling like a fool. That's what it is. <laughs> leaves me feeling like a fool. Like the time that Mercer made it into March Mission Madness. And so I made a bracket where they won everything. Right? Okay. This kind of feels like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I will admit I am a I am naively optimistic probably to a fault but even still I am one that wants to say and I think I believe this that hope is never completely gone mm-hmm. Now like Nikki I hope is in short supply but i struggle to say that hope is gone because maybe that's the thing about hope when all hope is gone that the gift of god is presence when we need it most and that not to be cliche about it but that nothing is truly over and done with and until god says it's over and done with even even from death life comes so for me the first sunday of advent is a celebration of that kind of hope and i am just me i'm clinging to that this year cuz i that's where i that's what i need to hear
0: hmm. i think we all could echo the sentiments both you, and Daniel, Nikki, and David have shared with us today. Hope is something we all want to have and want to not feel foolish having. <laughs> and we really like to see the odds better than they feel. Sometimes the words of our mystic friends can be of some comfort, perhaps. Perhaps. Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk and writer, reflected on the nature of hope. And while we may feel like I'm sure that the difficulties of our day are very real, and they are, there were difficulties in his time as well, and challenges. And yet, he centered on the peace he found in God, and in God's creative work, and here, as we are at the first Sunday of Advent and looking at hope and talking about a new church year and all that newness and freshness and restoration can mean. Maybe these words from Thomas Merton can help us center on the goodness of creation as God has formed it for us. He, he says it like this. He says, that's the meaning of hope, to trust in the ultimate goodness of creation. Hope doesn't mean an anticipation or expectation of a deliverance from an intolerable or oppressive situation or condition. That's what most of us are doing most of the time, wanting something other than what is. As I said, true hope is trusting that what we have, where we are, and who we are is more than enough for us as creations of God. May we all find the hope that is always offered by God in just the way God has made us and this life. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. you. Learn
2: more about
0: our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.